This episode is brought to you by Salt and Strings Butchery in Southern Illinois. Order your custom beef today by visiting saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Barbell Logic, the premier online coaching service for barbell strength training. Get your first month free by signing up at barbelllogic.com slash hardmen or use the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Eric Kahn. By the way, quick shout out to our Patreon supporters. Definitely appreciate all the support that goes toward this show. Also supports us here at New Christendom Press. I'm doing this work full time, so this is meaningful work, and we definitely appreciate your support. By the way, if you're not yet a Patreon supporter, you can become one today. If you join at the $10 or the $20 or up tiers, you get a brand spanking new for free Hardman Slunk Eggs coffee cup. That's right, Hardman Slunk Eggs. You can also buy this cup in the store for $24.95 or join today at the $10 and up tiers. And again, you get the Hardman Slunk Eggs. There's some eggs on it. And uh, this reminder that if you slunk eggs, you truly are a hard man. So you can sign up on Patreon. Follow the link in the show notes. Or you can go to Patreon and look up Eric Khan. And uh, you can support this work. We definitely appreciate that. Well, welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I am the Hard Man, <laughs> Eric Hahn, and uh, joined today by the, the the giggling, ever giggling Ben Garrett. You know what? That's a not a very masculine thing to be known for. The giggling. <laughs> He's the giggler. Uh, ben, I, I want to talk about in this episode something that I shared on Facebook. It was a kind of an idea that was original to me. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was interesting this morning. I shared this post on King Theoden. Yeah. Who is just a super based king. Yeah, Chad King. And uh, it's got some pretty good response so far, 35 shares. It's, it's a theme that resonates with people. Uh, but where I got the idea for this... Okay. Why don't, yeah. Where did you get this idea? This is a great idea, by the way. Yeah, it's it's pretty phenomenal idea. So there I was sitting alone <laughs> in the church this morning because Eric always spends personal holy time <laughs> by himself in the church sanctuary with the Lord. That's right. Yes, I was being very spiritual. No, I was sitting in chapel and Ben was giving a chapel message. What you've been talking about inheritance? Yeah. This week has been about the wisdom of inheritance, the principle of inheritance, and this last day was about King Theoden. King Theoden. So my post was basically a complete ripoff of what Ben was talking about. <laughs> but anytime you talk about Theoden, like, I got super jacked. Oh, man. Every time. Just, I think that he's my favorite character in The Lord of the Rings. You think so? I mean, maybe. It, it, maybe not, but every time I get so excited. Somebody said on the post, I thought this was interesting. He said he and Boromir were my favorite characters because they redeemed their honor despite the grievous wounds suffered by corrupting influences. I, that, that's a pretty interesting take. That is pretty interesting. I, I certainly love Boromir. I think that he is incredibly underrated. I feel like outside of those two, I would say the real hero of Lord of the Rings. Now, this is going to be a hot take. <laughs> I think the real hero is Denethor. Okay. Okay. I thought you were going to say like Shadowfax or something like a horse. Ooh. Well, that, that might actually be legit. So <laughs> yeah. That's the problem is that might be true. That might be true. Uh, Denethor, not a hero. No, but he's way better in the books than in the movies it, because in the book, he's like clad in chain mail 
mm-hmm. because he he says that you need to keep a sturdy frame in your old age. So he's like jacked and uh, and crazy strong. But I mean, still black pilled. It's it's pretty bad. He's black pilled. So this was kind of the tie in what we were talking about. Here you take Theoden, who at one point is under the spell of Saruman. He's been whispered in his ear by Grima Wormtongue. Yes. And so he's kind of like decrepit. I guess take me from there. Like, what? how did he get to that point? Yeah, so Theoden was the, the 17th king of Rohan, and he's descended from this line of just lordly men. I mean, mm-hmm. Rohan is, a, is of the lesser race of men, and Gondor is from Numenor, this high race of men. But, Ro, but Rohan is, I mean, these guys are crazy. And uh, so anyway, he's descended 17th in, in, in the line. And when he takes up the throne... He has been married for a time and he has a young child named Theodred. It's his only child because soon after his wife dies. So he takes the throne and immediately his wife dies. And then uh, Theodred is, is kind of all he has. And then he's really close friends with one of his sisters. He had four sisters and he's like really close with one of them. And her husband died and then she died. And so he adopted her children, Aomer and Eowyn. To, um, oh, he adopted. He adopted them to to so they're niece and nephew to him, but he treats them as his own children. Uh, so he gives his first son Theodred the the top uh, marshal position, and then he gives Aomer the second, and then he gives uh, Eowyn a, a high place of honor to where when they're when they're actually about to go to the Hornburg uh, for the Battle of Helm's Deep and the Two Towers, he names Eowyn. Uh, heir and king in his stead or queen I guess because Aomer is going with him and they're almost certain they're going to die so before they all depart he in front of everyone names Eowyn the heir to the throne because she was you know wise and everyone loved her and stuff I can't remember in the book um, I know in the movie Aomer leaves yeah yeah so in the book it's a little different he is put in prison but he stays in Edoras the capital of Rohan and in the book, it's Gandalf going to get, I think it's Erkenbrand is the guy's name. And that's, that's who comes in in the book at the last minute to save the day. Not Aomer. And in the movie, it's Aomer, but same yeah. idea. S- same idea. So this kind of idea, you were talking about this morning, we, we were, I guess, thinking about it as well for a while, but sort of Theoden as the perfect picture of what it means to be black-pilled. Yeah. So he becomes a shell of a man. Really gives into despair. Yep. There's no hope for the kingdom. And he's this king on the throne that it requires the deliverance of Gandalf. I don't remember yeah. in the book if it happened the same way. I think it does. It does. Yeah. No, okay. it does. Uh, and in the book too, it's, it, it's actually a little bit better because the movie makes it seem really dramatic. Like it's this one moment and then Theoden is saved. And it, that's kind of how it is in the book too. But in the book, it's, it's not so much like he's possessed with a spirit. It's like he is, I don't know, just cast down, like melancholy and depressed. And so he only sees darkness in the world. There's this theme of him only seeing darkness. And then Gandalf opens the sky and shows him that above the clouds, there's still light. You just have to have eyes to see it. And then Gandalf says, it's such this like kind of grandpa moment from Gandalf where uh, he says that he has counsel to give, but he has no counsel for those who would despair, for this is no time to despair. And so he, he kind of charges Theoden that if you're going to be dour, I'm not going to help you. But I have help 
if you'll have hope. Then he takes him outside, he shows him the light, he gives him his sword, and he tells him to cast away his cane. And that's kind of when he, the, the age of depression washes off of him. And he is up, he's standing proud again, and he leads his people with blue eyes and clear vision, the, the book says. What, uh, and there's a line too about the sword, what Gandalf says to him. Yeah, he says, your, your fingers would remember their old strength if they felt your old sword. And he grabs the sword and sure enough, it's this like image of a shaky, frail spirit that has been kind of kicked and, and cast down and then reclaims the vitality and the life and strength that his fathers once knew and that he actually once knew. And, uh, and so now he can lead his people again with strength and with a clear mind. It's really interesting. Uh, it seems like a picture of, we talk a lot about the boomers, the older generations, I think there's a lot of blackpilling that has happened for them. Yeah. Um, a lot of older men who are like, what's the point? Um, maybe given into despair, but younger men too. I mean, I think would be impacted by a story like this because it's so easy to look at all the things that are wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, just, you know, to, to say a few things that would get us canceled. Cause I like to do that at least once a show, Ben, you have to, but I was talking with a guy at church here, Toby, and we were talking about how, you know, you look at all the stuff with like the CIA and all the files that are coming out now. And it's like, okay, yeah, no, they, like they killed Kennedy. Yeah. So <laughs> that alone, uh, but then you look at uh, Manosphere and all the things going against all the evil for- forces working against men, yeah. the legal system working against men. It would be really easy, I think, to be in despair. But what do you think this story tells us about why we shouldn't do that? And kind of what's the answer? What's the solution? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I've been thinking about this a lot because I gave that chapel today. Theoden's just been on my mind because I'm reading the Silmarillion, so everything Tolkien's on my mind right now. And I'm also doing. I think I recommended that book to you. Yeah, oh, you wish you had. <laughs> I recommended it to you. But we are uh, talking about God's providence on Sunday uh, for Sunday school, and so I've been thinking a lot about God's providence as well. And one of the things that strikes me in Tolkien's world is at the creation of the, of the world, the high God in Tolkien's universe, Eru, he tells the, uh, the one God who's sort of the Satan character mm. who uh, starts breeding discord. He tells him that you can do that. You can breed discord all you want. You can bring darkness into the world. You can think that you're rebelling against me always, but at the end you'll find that your discord only ended up helping my causes be accomplished. Mm. So it's this idea that, that God is so great that he can even use the sin and the, and the darkness to bring about his glorious purpose. And that reminds me a lot of what Theoden was going through, where he was only seeing the dark and he was forgetting the purposes and the, and the activity of God behind it. And I think that a lot of men are doing that today, where especially in the manosphere, you get a lot of blackpilling because they're able to see what nature says about men and women and children and, and what's natural. And they're like, okay, we should do that. But then they also see that the entire world is against them in that. The entire world is against any masculinity that's true. Mm. And so if you have a materialist worldview and still are able to see the natural state of things, that men should be men and women should be women, then when the world is against that, you're going to think that it's hopeless. You're going to think that, that, there's, that there's nothing to do but just to despair and be dour. It's only when you remember the providence of God working all things together for his glory and the good of those who call on his name, that you can face that opposition with hope and positivity and and gusto and courage. 
Yeah, it seems like that's one of the points I think that Tolkien tries to drive home in multiple ways from multiple different characters. But I can remember there's a point later on with Sam and Frodo where, you know, Frodo is despairing and Sam is like ever hopeful. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things he says, this this part is in the movie. I can't remember exactly how the book, if it portrays this, I don't remember. You probably will. But how he talks about, he's like, well, all the old stories were about men who were up against it. Oh, yeah. And I think for the masculine soul, there's something about reading these stories and being encouraged. And part of the encouragement is that Theoden comes out of it. Yeah. Like, it really is a picture of redemption, of repentance, that no matter how many years you've lying in this, laying in this stupor, like, you can come out of that. Yeah. You can repent of it. You can regain your old strength and go and fight. And that's kind of what we see next is that Theoden becomes this Chad King that he wasn't for a time. Yeah. Theoden's whole story arc in the book, to me, is like a microcosm of the larger story arc of Kings, which is the, the Gondorian line that was broken and then that Aragorn reclaims, where there's this, this, there's this period of dissension where early Gondor was this high place of, of high men and high kings, and then they where, you know, it, evil was sown there, basically, and complacency and apathy and all these things. And the line just sort of diminished until it withered away. And then Aragorn, after this long age, comes back and reclaims, he redeems the honor of his fathers, basically. But that takes place over, you know, a, long, a really long time, centuries. But for Theoden, it's all in his own life, where he starts as this high king. And he is indeed like a high king. And then he falls, and he is dour and he's apathetic and complacent and he's letting his people die because he's being foolish and taking bad counsel. And then he's redeemed. He redeems the honor of his fathers so that at the end of his life, he can give that great line where I, I go now to the halls of my fathers in whose mighty presence I might not now feel so much shame because he's going not only to meet his fathers who were better kings he thinks than he was, but he's also going to meet his son who had died valiantly in battle mm. while he was sitting idle back at Edoras, uh, withering away like an old man. So he also redeems the honor of his entire line, including his son. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and there's really two scenes I want to go to to describe some of the change. So the first one, one of my favorites, is uh, Helm's Deep. Mm. And there's this moment, right, where their like, defeat looks imminent. Yep. And you can, at least in the movie, you see him waffling between like, do I despair? Do I hope? Of course, Aragorn is there to say like, no, that like kind of pointed in the right direction, I yeah. think. So that famous scene, which I've also used in a, I think it was a charge at You church. did use it in the charge and it was so good. Too. And I, I saw Ben like, <laughs> I was like, let's go. Let's you go. said right out and meet them. <laughs> they, but Thandon says, he says so much death. What can men do against such reckless hate? And I think that's sort of the like, should I black pill moment? Yeah. What can be done? And then Aragorn, this is where courage and manliness, I think comes in right out with me, right out and meet them. Yeah. Because it's not what you expect in that moment. That's not what the world's telling us. That's not what most of the Manosphere guys are saying. Hey, let's be courageous. Yeah, ride out and meet them. If nothing else, let's win honor and glory. And that's what men are supposed to bring to the table. This, right. this unexpected courage and strength to, to be an anchor when everyone around you is struggling and, and is waffling, like you're saying. And then that we always say courage is contagious, right? Virtue is contagious. 
So Aragorn gives that line right out with me. Let's just go die together. And then he says, yes, for death and glory. For my people, you know, so... Yeah, and that, that's another interesting point. It seems like Aragorn keeps pointing him back because he says, yes, for death and glory. And Aragorn, it's, it seems like a partial correction. He says, for Rohan, for, for your, your people. people. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, yeah, death and glory, but hey, don't, rem- don't forget the positive reason yeah. that we're here. Yeah. Right? And, it's for the people. And even just as like a, on a story level, that shows the dichotomy between Gondor and Rohan where Rohan is, their myth is all about for death and glory, that those who die in battle, it's like Spartans, you know, like those who die in battle have gained a victorious death. Whereas for Gondor, the motivation is the people, that we would protect our lands and our people. So there is actually a real difference there. Oh, yeah. And so they're both right in a way. I think Tolkien is, is showing that, no, actually, they're both correct. It's just you have to have both of them together so that when they're on the Pelennor fields, you have... Theoden saying basically both, where he is telling people, ride now, ride to ruin, fell deeds awake, uh, ere the sun rises, death, death, death. Yeah, I want you to walk me through that. So he's charging his troops. Yeah, from the front, by the way, which is a huge theme in Tolkien's universe. Yeah, I want want you to talk more about that. I think Dan's mentioned it the other day. Yeah. But why is this so important, this theme of kings being out front? Because I think Dan mentioned it's Denethor who's almost like praising uh, Sauron, like, oh yeah, yeah, the good thing is to stand in the back and let your people fight. Yeah, and pragmatically, sure, because then you can probably lead them for longer. But what sort of legacy, I think Tolkien's point is, what legacy are you leaving when you lead them from behind? You're leaving a legacy of I'm better than you, first of all, and you're expendable to me, second of all, and you need me. And part of the, I think, I really think part of the point of the king leading from the front which is heavily embodied in Fingolfin, High King of the Noldor, is that you would show people, you actually don't need me. You just need to remember your strength and courage that you already have. And so the king is more supposed to be the guy who shows them who they're supposed to be, who they are, if they would just claim that. So if he dies, it's fine, because in dying in that glorious way, you've reminded your people who they are. As a global study from 2021 pointed out, people who lift weights just 30 to 60 minutes per week increase their lifespan by up to 20%. You heard that right, 20%. Other studies have shown that strength is one of the factors tied most directly to increasing your longevity. Interestingly enough, this holds true at any age. In other words, whether you're 18 or 87, you greatly increase your chance of living longer simply by doing some form of strength training. Speaking of which, I've been lifting weights through Barbell Logic online coaching for about nine weeks now. I'm working with my trainer, Matt Reynolds, three workouts per week, and I've increased my deadlift and squat by over 100 pounds. And that's just nine weeks. My bench press has increased by almost 50 pounds. I've never had weightlifting coaching, but with custom-tailored workouts and constant feedback from Matt after my workouts, I've been able to improve form, increase weight, and grow much stronger in a very short period of time. My deadlift is now up over 285 pounds. My squat is over 275 pounds. And my bench press is over 220 pounds. Are you ready to improve your strength, get in better shape, and increase the number of productive years, God willing, that you have on earth? Well, sign up today for Barbell Logic's online coaching, and your first month is always free. They'll pair you with the right coach to meet your training needs. So visit barbelllogic.com slash hardmen 
to get paired with a coach today and start your weightlifting program. You can also check the link in the show notes. Yeah, it's such a powerful picture too. I remember reading this uh, with King Alfred, but they said like the shield wall would not hold if the king wasn't on it with them. Mm. And so you really see that this, it's, it becomes a, a poignant picture for leadership. I think even, you know, COVID, you go to things like that. Well, where were the pastors? Yeah. Were they out front? Some of them were, mm-hmm. but I would say that was the minority. Yeah. A lot of them minority. were like, hey, look, we're going to get government money. That's going to happen no matter what. We're at the country club. Sorry, you're going to lose your job. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, and it's really sad. But we're supposed to be a kingdom of kings and priests. And kings don't act like that. Kings are not, well, I got mine, so I'm fine. Kings are like, I'll die with you, and it'll be better. <laughs> yeah, it'll be for death and glory yeah, for, for your death people. death and glory. So walk me through the speech uh, that Theoden gives at the Pelennor Fields. Oh, What's so just, powerful about this? It's just the greatest speech. Let me actually look it up. But I think part of what's so powerful is that it's, in the movie, it's the epitome of Theoden's story arc to where now he's, he's fully redeemed at this point in the movie. Because even after he comes around, he's still waffling, like you're saying. He, he's waffling a little bit. But when they get to the Pelennor Fields, it's great. It's, it's, I mean, flawless, okay? So Theoden rides up. He comes over the hill and looks on the field, and it's just swarming with orcs and, and men from the east, you know, these evil men. And the camera zooms up on his face and you see him looking at it and kind of studying it. And then he just scoffs and turns around. <laughs> he's like, ah. turns around, faces his men. And he tells, he's organizing them. So he tells them first, you know, Aomer, you go to the north or whatever. And, and uh, Hamath, you go with me to the center, whatever he's doing. He's organizing his men. He's giving them a clear line of action that they're supposed to take. It's not just reckless glory. It's, it's purposeful glory. It's calculated. Strategic, strategic calculated, glory. yeah. And then he knows that it's time to inspire. So he says, go forth, fear no darkness. Fell deeds awake. Uh, swords will be broken. Shields will be splintered. A sword day, a red day, ere the sun rises. And then he starts yelling. <laughs> he just starts yelling death. And everyone gets excited. You even see Mary and Pippin, or uh, uh, Mary and Eowyn are in the crowd at this point in the movie. And they both look uncertain of themselves, especially Mary. He looks like really scared. But then when Theoden is done, Mary is like shouting louder than anybody. He's ready to die. So Theoden has, from from the top down, he has taken on the brunt of doubt. He's taken on the brunt of the fear because all these people are his responsibility. And he has shown them, look at me. If I'm not afraid, you shouldn't be afraid. We need to go do this. We need to be ready to die. We need to die to ourselves in this moment for the good, not just of our own glory. That's the key is at this point, it's not just for Theoden's own glory. It's also for the good of his people and all the free peoples of Middle Earth. So that, that correction that Aragorn gave him earlier, he really did take that to heart. So now you have both coming together. And that's why this moment is better than the Hornburg in that way. It's more satisfying. Because you know that he now has a full perspective. Right. And in the book, it's similar. He's not quite as like waffly in the book up to this point. He's like a complete Chad King. But it's still, I think that Tolkien makes it obvious that he's going to die. You just know that this is it. And so to hear him say these type of words and be so selfless 
in his own fear that he would, uh, he would pretend essentially that he's not afraid for the sake of his people. It, it's so striking. And when you read it, it's, it's impossible not to get emotional. I think. Yeah. It's really interesting. Uh, Alfred, King Alfred, you had Stonewall Jackson, these leaders in warfare, they said that like a lot of times they were like normal guys. And then they turned into like a wild boar, just a crazy spirit filled guy on the field. But it really seems to be a picture of leadership. I mean, there's times you think pastoral ministry in, in your diaconal role, when we've had to go to hospitals and you have to comfort people and deal with really difficult situations. Yeah. That is not the time to be like, oh my gosh, you know, we, we joke about the Michael Scott scene. He's like, everybody listen up. We are screwed. We are screwed. <laughs> like you can't be that way as a leader. No. I mean, even airline pilots, we know that. Like if you're going through really tough weather, you're like, oh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're yeah, going to be diverting. <laughs> the most robotically calm voice in the world. Yeah, they're actually trained to do that. But I think the military would be a, a similar thing. But again, it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like that's a good picture for leadership. Yeah, I think so. I think that there's a time and it requires wisdom and I'm sure a lot of experience from better men. We, you know, you're looking towards other men uh, to learn when to be the calming presence, when to be the, the anchor that anchors you in like, no, we're not going to lose our minds. But then also you have to know when your people need to be let loose, but they can only be let loose if they know that you're not afraid of the thing. So for example, with COVID, uh, our pastors here at Refuge were very uh, outspoken about saying, you don't have to tolerate this stupidity in your workplace. You can fight it. You don't have to get the vaccine. Your families aren't going to die. We'll all help each other. We'll all take care of each other. So that means that you can now go forward and be courageous. And they were also courageous on our behalf, you know, talking to bosses and writing letters and stuff. So in a sense, they showed that they weren't afraid of the thing and that let the people loose to be courageous, to show actually neither am I. If, if the people that I'm looking to, to help, you know, teach me the highest things of life, the, the things of God aren't afraid of this, then why would I be afraid of it? Mm. So let's just go crazy. And that's what, you know, Theoden obviously does. The, the speech is arise, arise, riders of Theoden, fell deeds awake, fire and slaughter. Spear shall be shaken, <laughs> shield be splintered, a sword day, a red day, ere the sun rises, ride now, ride now, ride to Gondor. Mm. And then he yells death in the movie. <laughs> so there, he, obviously they charge. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, the, the look on the enemy orc commander's face. Oh, yeah. Like they're like, you know, reform the lines. And then they're like, oh, crap. They're like, <laughs> terrified. He does the Michael Scott. Yeah. It's, uh, we are screwed. We are screwed. <laughs> yeah. He like backs up and gets away. <laughs> he has that look in his eyes, but it's interesting. There comes a point obviously where he dies. He's yeah. thrown from his horse. He's dying. So walk me through that scene. Yeah. So in the book, I think the scene is way better in the book. He dies and Mary finds him. And before all this, uh, he had told Mary that he shouldn't come to the battle. He actually ordered him not to. Um, and so Mary finds King Theoden and he, uh, he thinks that he's dead, but he, he like pushes some stuff off of him. I think so it's easier to breathe. And Theoden wakes up and he looks at Mary and Mary, the first thing Mary does is say like, forgive me, Lord, for, for disobeying orders, something like that. And Theoden is like, no, 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 don't. It's, it's like a friends you bow to no one kind of moment where he's yeah. like, no, don't be sorry. I'm glad that you're here. 
I'm, it's good that you disobeyed. You were right. You mm-hmm. should be here. And before the battle, him and Mary had discussed like herb lore of the Shire and Theoden was really into it because he liked tobacco. So he had promised Mary that if they make it out alive, they would, they would talk about herb lore in his palace and they would just, just not think about time at all. They were just in, smoke together and enjoy each other. And so Theoden apologizes for not being able to fulfill that promise. And, and then it's right after that, that he says, I go now to the halls of my fathers in whose mighty presence I shall not feel so ashamed. And then right after that, uh, Eowyn had called Eomer over so that he could see Theoden before he dies. Cause these are like his children, you know, they're yeah. adop- adopted children. And as Aomer walks up, he says, hail king of the Mark. So it's, it's so cool. It's this image of a man who's held in high honor by literally everyone in middle earth. You know, king of Rohan's a big deal. And he is being, he's honoring the lowest person around him. The, this hobbit who disobeyed orders, by the way, he's honoring him by telling him that he really wishes they could have more time together because he's interested in what this young hobbit has to say. And then he looks at his nephew, who's now going to be surpassing him uh, in glory by taking on the next, you know, line of kings. And he's giving him honor. He's showing him the honor due to a king by even with his dying breath saying, hail king of the mark. It's basically his blessing. It would be, yeah, it would be like if Aomer was, was dying and Theoden found him. And with his dying breath, he said, long live the king. Mm. Like that type of loyalty and honor is being shown. Wow. And it's striking. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, it, we were talking about it before, but the there's the meme where the two girls are like, do, do men cry about anything? <laughs> and then there's the Chad with ashes on his face. Yeah. And it's like that scene. And he's like, I go now to the halls of my fathers. <laughs> Just total <laughs> dust and ashes weeping. And it's true. What man isn't compelled by that? I don't think there is one. Yeah, I think it. What it is, is it is a frequency that resonates with something deep in the masculine soul. Yeah. And I mean, when I read it, I think I I want to, first of all, to have the Genesis patriarchal vision where I'm thinking about, I am going to go to my father's. Yeah. And I want to, it's, it's about honor culture. Yeah. That's something that we've lost. We're like, do you remember like in the older movies and the older books, things like, um, you know, honoring your family name mm-hmm. was like a really important thing. Yeah. You don't want to bring disgrace on the name. Yeah. Nobody really cares about that. Right. You know, at, at this point in history, but I think we can still be called back to it. Yeah. And it has to be something that we, we work hard to cultivate. But, but I also think too, that the other point of this is uh, you know, even people like John Elders have talked about it. Like, you know, men want an adventure. They want to fight. I don't even think it's that they want it. I think it's that they're made for it. Yeah, we almost need it. So my question to you is like, y- you look now and we don't have orcs on a field. Mm-hmm. There's not a battle that we're being called to in the same symmetrical way. Yeah. yeah so not a one-to-one. How do we as men, like what, what's the fight today? I guess is what I'm asking. And how, how do we call men to that? So I, I've grown in my conviction that the, the real fight is for the hearts of your children, mm. I think, today. Because we have lost— First and foremost, yeah. Yeah, first and foremost. But even not like in an abstract way, like literally, you have got to put your 
primary strength and effort towards winning the heart of your son and daughter. Because if you don't, the world will take them. It's not a matter of like, you might get lucky and they'll stick around. It's like, no, 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 you'll lose them, period. And I think what's so hopeful about Theoden's arc, Aragorn is like good. You know, he's like the, the star pupil, right? The whole time he's, and it's awesome. It's, you love to see it, yeah. but he's just great. Theoden though, he fails and he calls himself the lesser son of greater sires. Like he, mm-hmm. he does drop the ball. He loses his people. He loses his inheritance of glory, you know? But he reclaims it. So all of these older men who are black-pilled and, and you know, maybe they don't have the best relationship with their kids. And all of us younger men who, well, I'm a little bit younger than you, but all of us younger men who have young children and they're going to have to fight for their souls and their hearts to win them to the cause of Christ really have to recognize that we're going to screw it up. There's gonna, we're always going to mess up. Mm. But that seems to be, given the fallen nature of the world, that's just a feature of things. The beauty and what Theoden reminds us of is that we know what to do with it. Mm. It's to repent, remember the light, remember the joy, and get to work. Yeah, it's, I, I love that point. And it's a, a connection to something that uh, Faramir says elsewhere. But this idea that you have to fight for what's behind you. Yeah. You have to love it. You have to be filled with joy. You know, this Sunday I'll be preaching on the, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day. And one of the things that struck me is it's supposed to be a day of joy. And if you want to win the hearts of your children to the Lord's Day, which is central to Christian culture and Christendom and what we're trying to build, you, you can't fake it. You have to actually love it. Yeah. You have to delight in it. You have to treat it as a feast day. And I, I think like in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That comes in a section where everybody wants to weep. Mm-hmm. And Ezra and Nehemiah call the people and they say, no, 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 this is the time. Get the sweet and the fat portion. You bring your best. And you rejoice. Yeah. Uh, yes, this temple doesn't have the glory of former days. But we are called to fight. We're called to live in the days that we were placed in to, yeah. the, to the providence of God. And so I think, yeah, like it may be simple things for guys. Before you can win the fight of like, how do you defeat the pagan hordes of transvestite, <laughs> yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before you can do that, just win them to the Lord's Day. Yeah. Just win them to the culture of your house. Right. I think one of the things Doug Wilson has done so well, especially when you go up there and you kind of get to know the people, is the joy. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're drawn into it. Nobody has to force you at gunpoint to say like, you should be here. Yeah. No, like it's like going to the halls of the elves and you're like, I don't want to leave. Yeah. So I think his father is just cultivating that. You're right. Cultivating the that joyful demeanor where your kids' hearts are one to it. Yeah. Uh, just in closing, Ben, what are some other ways you think that men and you know mothers as well who listen to the show how do you win hearts because that's yeah. something we talk a lot about too and i would say for husbands a lot of times when guys say like oh you know i'm trying to be a patriarch and my wife is just not following me and i immediately think well you haven't won her heart yeah that's the fundamental issue and so then the question is how do you do that how do you win the heart of somebody yeah i think uh Courage, certainly. Courage. Yeah, you got to have courage. You got to have boldness. You also have to think not about yourself. You have to think, why is this going to be better for this person? The, the point of winning your wife to the vision of patriarchy is not so that your life, Mr. Patriarch, would get easier. Your life is going to get harder. Okay, you're going to have more responsibility. You're going to have more pressure to work hard. 
Yeah, you're, you're the ha- patriarch you are so the- that you can say my life for yours. Exactly. The whole point is my life for yours. It's this echoing theme in God's universe, my life for yours. And so if you're thinking selfishly, like, wow, I can't wait to be a patriarch. And then like my wife's going to make me lunch all the time. And anytime I want a snack, I'll just like snap my fingers and boom, there it is. It's great. Anytime I want to have sex, like she can't say no. Okay. That's not the point. The, the point is to say my life for yours. We're doing this wife. We're doing this children because it's going to be better for you. It's my job. And so it's my responsibility. So approaching it from a selfless point of view is key. And then also trying to front load, uh, or I guess predict what their objections and questions might be. So if you're trying to sell your family, for example, on um, having people over after church on the Sabbath, where, you know, otherwise it's like the time of the, of the week where you really just kind of want to kick back, watch something on TV, like not think at all. Uh, the house is really quiet and dark and everyone's napping. It'd be easier. Yeah, that'd be way easier, right? But, but if your vision of beauty, Mr. Patriarch, is to have people over on that day, to actually have it a day where your, your house is open and people are inside and you're laughing, that's going to come across to your wife as, wow, this is a lot more work. Because women are, by nature, more hospitable. They bear the brunt of that. They bear the brunt of that burden. So you have to sell it to her and make her trust you to realize that it's going to be lovely. And one of the best ways you can do that is to predict what's going to be most difficult for her. Like if it's budgetary stuff, if it's time, if it's energy, and try to come up with ways as you're selling her on this to make her realize that you've already thought of that. So you're being thoughtful to the people you know, under you, quote unquote. And you're trying to address their concerns before they even have them. So, oh, the budget's a stressor. Well, it's okay. I've made another line item in the budget. So you now have X amount of dollars to spend on hospitality on Sundays and you don't have to think twice. Oh, uh, energy is a concern. Well, you know what? I'm going to help you on sun- on Saturday night and um, make sure that you don't have to do the dishes Saturday night or whatever it is. Like the kids will do extra chores, whatever it is, so that you can get a little bit of extra rest in if you feel you need that. Or it's a, it's a quality time thing where she feels like she may not be getting enough time with you then. Okay, well then put your phone away when you get home from work. Don't be on the phone all the time. Don't turn the TV on. Yeah. Be with your wife. May, have sex with your wife. Uh, play with your children. Make it an actual time of family bonding because that's a lot of time. That's like five hours from when you get home to when you go to bed after work. Make use of that time. That's a pretty good chunk. And then I think also be willing to be flexible. Don't make it a my way or the highway thing. Don't be a dictator. Uh, be a king, <laughs> which is you're, you're, you're being lordly over your people. You're not lording things over your people. So be willing to be flexible and, uh, and roll with the punches as they come. Yeah, I think the other thing too is um, I'm reminded of this often. When, when I see my kids or my wife, you know, we all have things in our lives that it, maybe it's not our favorite thing. Maybe it's hard. It's a duty we're called to and it, and it may be difficult, you know, and it could be something so simple as, you know, maybe it's a season in life where the job that you have isn't the most delightful yeah. work men that you could probably ever do. But he, here's where the rub comes. If your children see you doing the hard things with complaining, how can you then look at them and say, hey, I'm calling you to this hard thing. Yeah. I need you to do it joyfully. You know, we're going to school today. Please stop complaining. Well, did you complain? Yeah. So I think just setting the tone of joy, embracing the duties God lays before us gladly yep. and, and setting an example that way. And then um, that just has a way of 
kind of rubbing off on the rest of the household. This is going to sound stupid too and contrived, but it's really not. Uh, you know how a woman with a friendly attitude can just light up a home. Yeah. You know, you walk in and, and if your wife greets you with a smile, it's like, it's incredible. The home is now an amazing place. Yes. The same is true for fathers. Fathers uh, carry a lot of responsibility and that's always visible to the people that are under us that are in our care. So it's incredible how disarming a smile from a father can be to a wife and, and children where you're letting them know like, no, it's okay. You're with me. I love this. I get to see you all the time. I yeah. get to be your protector and provider. This is good for me. So even in the midst of like your hardest weeks, if you can be aware of how hard your week is and know that your people recognize it, even if you're being good and not complaining, they still recognize that it's hard for you and give them a smile, show them that you're okay. Show them that you're actually pleased to do this work for their sake. It will disarm them and you'll be able to win their heart to literally anything. <laughs> yeah, it's a great point. And I think Ben, as we, as we wrap up this episode, I think it's also an important reminder, things like Lord of the Rings. So I, I tend to be this way in the way that I read. Look, I'm very task oriented. I have a CEO type job. So I'm always thinking about tasks. You're actually, this, you're actually just a CEO. It's not even a type. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. You're correct. Uh, but, you know, like doing that line of work, you're always focused on the task, uh, you know, to-do lists, project management, stuff like that. But you need time as a family to read stories that inspire. Yeah. Um, so I would just recommend to be reading these stories to your families. That's something that you can do to cultivate joy. And again, to inspire people. Hey, we need examples like Thaden. Yeah. Uh, man, you don't have to be blackpilled. I, I don't know why, but of all the books I've ever read, Lord of the Rings is one where I read it and I'm like, I don't know why this is so encouraging, but it's like, I'm getting air in my sails again. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Simply reading it. Whenever you're feeling tired about your, your lot in life or your job or responsibilities, read Lord of the Rings. You're going to be stoked to go to work <laughs> and, and just get stuff done. It's great. I love it. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. We do want to give a quick, I guess it's a special announcement. Oh, yeah. But we've got the new Christendom Press Conference. Yes. By the time this drops, will be announced. Yeah. Title I know is, you've been you working. You are the plan. You are the plan. You are the plan. Yeah, we've been working on it now for a while. It's been in the works and we're ready to launch and we're excited. It's June 8th through the 10th of this year, 2023 in Ogden, Utah. It's going to be a refuge church, limited seating, really exclusive event. We want to make it small so people can really connect. Imagine Rivendale. Uh, you pronounced it incorrectly. <laughs> Riven? Rivendell. Whatever. You said Rivendale. What? That's what it says in the book. No, it's not. It's not how it's spelled. Rivendale. Rivendale. It'll be just like Rivendell. Yeah. Like no joke. There'll be like Lambus bread <laughs> yeah. and music and fire and everything. Actually, I, I was reading this about the Elvish that Lambus bread actually translates to ribeye. Does it really? Yeah. Wow. Unspoiling ribeye. So they were actually carnivore. They were. <laughs> it, all right, I'm done. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> I've had enough of this podcast. Uh, final thing we'll say, we appreciate everybody who listens. We could not do this work without your support. So if you're not yet a Patreon subscriber, you can become one today for as little as $5 a month. We put a lot of work into the show and we want to keep doing it. So please support. And until next time, Ben, do you remember the sign off? Hey, until next time, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like hard men. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.